Delaware Security Show. Don't let fishing get you down. Slow down and frown and turn it around. Security is in your DNA. Don't throw it away. The well aware security show. You're listening to the Well Aware Security Show. It's that time for uh, uh, George to to talk about uh, the nine cybersecurity habits again. Um, and in the immortal words of Rob Bass. I'm not internationally known, but I'm known to rock a microphone. Um, It takes two to make a podcast go right, which is why this week I've asked uh, Kate Brett Goldman uh, to be our guest on the show. Um, uh, Kate, welcome to the Well Aware Security Show. Thanks, George. If I I had known we were going to do a 90s throwback rap, I would have come prepared to kind of do some... to lay down some mad tracks. Well, I I, I came prepared. So uh, uh, Kate, uh, for for those of you who don't know her, is the CEO and founder of the Cyber Maniacs. Uh, They they create uh, cybersecure humans with groovy options for training. Um, And I I love them because their claim to fame is that they use puppets uh, to make your security awareness training uh, more approachable uh, to to your humans who might think security is kind of scary. So, um, Kate, does this make you the Jim Henson of the security awareness world? Oh, gosh, no, that I don't even I can't even aspire to something quite, quite so lofty. But I do think that um, there is something that we are trying to bring to the equation that brings a little bit of alchemy, I'd say, to the science of all of this cybersecurity stuff. And that is that artistic, creative touch, because at the end of the day, you know, if you want to change your humans, you have got to get their hearts and their minds and what better way to get to people's hearts than with fuzzy loving cybersecurity puppets uh, again you you had me at puppets uh, <laughs> um so uh you know you and i've talked uh, before about uh what it means to create a culture of cybersecurity um and i guess my first question is can can security awareness training really do that can can security awareness uh, training change culture um and you know if it did uh, how would it do it? And, and how would you go about even measuring that you've been successful? So I think the interesting thing there is that if you're going to ask the straight question, can training change culture? My first answer would be no. And that's only because the way that we use the word training and the way that we conceptualize what we're trying to do with normal people, helping them on this personal journey of habit, behavior, and value, and culture change, this whole mindset shift around how are we going to embrace and secure our digital future, like as a species, but as an individual too, can't really be conceptualized by just the word training. So I think maybe part of that block that we're having as an industry, the thing that we can move through is that if we change the concept of training in our own minds and think about what we're delivering, how we're delivering it, it really is more like influence. It really is more like um, coaching. It is, there's lots of different words we could use that kind of 
I think bring to light that experience of what we're trying to get people to go through rather than just saying training. Because I like to say that learning is for humans, but training is for pets. <laughs> it's a little harsh. I know. I'm sorry. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm not going to say that I, that I do training anymore ever again. I'm, <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm getting that out of my vocabulary. Um, so, so, you know, I, I guess, can, can you talk a little bit about your, your approach? I mean, I, I know you guys have, uh, have kind of emphasized being fun and funny uh, to, to, to make things a little sticky. Um, but, you know, why, why does that work? Why is that important? The fun part, the sticky part. Yeah, the fun part. You know, Funny, that's what we actually started with. So, so on this, you know, three-year journey that we've been on as a company, we did start with the fun. And when we sat down and we had that first conversation that gave birth to the cybermaniacs and what we are today, the first thing we stuck on was how do we get people to pay attention and how do we get engagement? And then the next natural question for us was how do we get them to love it? So the idea we had, um, was to create something that was so sticky and fun and pop culture-y and almost viral that people would go to the water cooler. Like if you had an office, which no one has anymore, if you had water coolers or a bubbler, as they say in England, um, if you had, the, people would actually want to talk about these videos or this content or the thing that they saw. Oh my God, did you see that they released this and it was a training video, but it didn't even feel like a training video. How do we make content? that is as good as a consumer-based media experience. It just happens to be about cybersecurity and it happens to influence you as you start to think about what you need to take in terms of next steps for, for digital safety. Hmm. So I think hmm. that's what we started with was, it was the most important thing for us to win the hearts first. It was the most important thing for us to say, um, we wanted people to love it and not hate it. Because I think that, if you do take a look at e-learning in general, not just not just cybersecurity awareness, which we could cover that question later, but um, as a industry, they don't get very good customer satisfaction. So I think the, the statistics around, you know, do employees like most corporate governance training? I don't think we even need to pull on that. Everyone knows what the answer is. It's pretty common sense. So we said, well, how can we look at something differently? And the thing that we found when we measured it, we, we looked at feedback scores, we you know watched people's faces as we created these videos. And that to me is the thing that once we hit that chord, we got the creative right, the rest of it just fell in place after that because to watch somebody have a natural, honest reaction to a situation or a puppet video or a song or something, and then to laugh and just go, I loved it. That was absolutely amazing. It's exactly right. That just, it lights us up. That's exactly what we're going for. Mm. So, you, you know, I, I've seen a lot of security training lately, though, that, that focuses on being like funny. That's, mm. that's their stick. Like they've hired comedians to be in, in, in the videos where they're, uh, they, you know, they've got funny scenarios. So, you know, I, I guess I, I'd love to hear your thoughts because I, I worry that, you know, different demographics think different th things are funny, right? So, you know, at, at a university, my older faculty members might not enjoy the same messages that appeal to, to like my younger uh, millennial workers. So uh, how do you guys tackle that? So it's like a Ginsu knife set, right? There's no one easy answer to it. There's really no one easy answer to it. But it that slices, was actually it dices, it juliennes. It even calls you Bob. <laughs> 
and I think the thing that is interesting is we asked that question right from front. We said, look, if we're going to use humor to affect behavior change, and that was the first thing we researched, we said, could we use humor to take on something as honestly as serious and scary as cybersecurity? And we did a bunch of research and we looked at public health campaigns. And there's been a couple of brilliant stuff out of um, Australia and New Zealand. Uh, we looked at the airline safety videos that have gotten funny all of a sudden, like how do you put your seatbelt on, et cetera which, you know, if you don't know at this point, I don't know what to tell you. So, but we, there was a lot of, you know, uh, existential questions, I guess, within that. How do I pick it? So what can we make fun of and what can't we? Mm. So there are some rules around humor that we found. We, you know, talked to comedians. We, you know, I've been a comedy connoisseur for, you know, my entire life. So I said, well, usually comedy works best when it punches up, when it doesn't punch down. Yeah. So that was our first rule of thumb, which is we don't make fun of people. We don't make fun of people making security mistakes because we are not here to encourage a culture of failure or where it's all stick and no carrot. We want carrot cake, right? So how do we make users not feel fear, guilt, shame when they see these behaviors or they see these technology actions um, played out on the screen? And the second thing we thought about was, well, how do we make fun of it? That's where the puppets come into play because um, how we see ourselves on screen, um, especially in this fracturing of uh, streaming content and like the 70 million options you have on Netflix or HBO and the different shows, like even 10 years ago, think about it. Like how long ago was Lost? Oh my gosh, yeah, that, that seems Please like 15. But didn't it feel like everyone watched Lost? And now if you, you know, if you love a show and you want everyone to watch it, you still only have, I guess, pockets of viewership. It's not quite as, whole civilizational yeah i mean there was a little bit of that with breaking bad and then there was you know maybe with game of thrones to some extent but since then yeah yeah it's we're still waiting for that blockbuster maybe it'll have puppets but that was one of the things we looked at we said well 2d animation doesn't get people in you know doesn't make people fall in love with the content 3d animation does but we're not pixar and that's expensive to do well and not make it look like totally like weird. Um, and then we looked at actors and humans and, and just our take on it was that um, you can make that funny and that can be really effective, but we just felt that we didn't want people to identify or not identify with the characters. I would never do that because I'm not that kind of person or I'm not that kind of character. So if I don't identify with mm. the character, like we would, so why do we love movies? Why do you love, like when you turn on some of the best um, movies and, and you watch that character go through the arc and you watch them go through, you know, whatever hero's journey they might have to accomplish, you have to identify something in yourself with that character. And we don't have like Peter Jackson's, like, you know, Lord of the Rings trilogy size budgets here. It's training. Sorry, it's not training, it's learning. I just caught myself, George. Um, and that's the thing. So we said, well, how do we make fun of it? And that's where we, you know, on the whole creative mix of things that we were going to do, puppets was like at the end. And when we got to it, we were like, well, actually, they are really funny. And actually, they help people, you know, they have sentimental, uh, you know, feelings about it, et cetera, but they're also abstract. Mm, so the fact yeah, that we can yeah. abstract them into a world that's not ours, but kind of like ours gives you so much storytelling leeway, gives you so much creative leeway. And that's when we figured out this is how we're gonna make fun of it, but not make people feel bad in the process. So that covers two of the biggest challenges with using humor. I don't want people to feel bad. I don't want pe people to feel you know, offended or 
you know, I don't want them to not see themselves in the situation. And the final thing is who thinks it's funny? So this gets to kind of the demographic question that you were asking. And, you know, this is, there's two answers to that. This is the Ginsu answer, I guess, which is um, one answer is there are things that everyone finds funny. So the first thing we had to find out what that was, and there's a great book called The Humor Code by, um, I'm going to forget his name, Pete McGovern, Pete McGovern, I'm going to, um, and he, uh, he's a professor, I think at the University of Colorado Boulder, and he looked at um, how you make humor funny across cultures, or what are the different things that everyone finds funny, and so he's come up with something called the benign violation theory which actually works very well with puppets. So if you don't believe that someone's actually going to get physically hurt, um, you can break certain taboos and people find that humorous. Hmm. So like I can hit a puppet on the head of the frying pan because you know the puppet's not really getting hurt. That's why Buster Keaton works, right? You knew Buster Keaton didn't actually get run over by the train. Yeah. Um, so then we thought about who makes it funny. The second answer to that in the knife conversation is um, that's where audience segmentation comes in, and that's why it's important. So, uh, so you're you're a connoisseur of, of comedy. So, have you written your own aristocrats joke, and does it involve puppets? <laughs> I don't think I've gotten there yet. No. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll come back to this. We'll come um, back to it. Uh, so, uh, you know, so, so what is the best way to connect with people? So, you know, when I think about security training, you know, I, I try to meet my community where they are. Um, and and that, that could mean social media or in-person or email, or Slack. Um, but, you know, when, when you work with your clients, um, is, it, is it really just like luck to figure out what's going to resonate with people? Um, you know, or do you have to just try everything and see what sticks? Or is there a way to, 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 to know, uh, like objectively, what's going to work beforehand? Well, I think it's super interesting because, yeah, you do want to meet your audience where they are. So I think that's absolutely true is what channel. So one of the first questions we ask for what channels do we have available to connect with your audience? So are they on Slack? Are they on Teams? Um, do you have a newsletter? What are all the different ways that we can reach your, your audience? And then what are the different ways we can segment? Uh, but I do think that coming to it from a creative emotional aspect, the thing that makes it interesting is, you know, the first thing that you have to be is honest and authentic. So especially with connecting with demographic groups under under Gen X, I'd say. There is a need for realness and there's a need for authenticity. And if you get too corporate or you sound like you're lying, um, you know, pretty much everyone under 50 is gonna smell that right away. Even probably people over 50 at this point because they've been conditioned by the other demographics. But there is, um, you have to kind of understand where the values and the trends of your organization sit. And it can be demographics, although you can't assume because you have to realize that everybody's an individual and they're gonna have different um, uh, preferences. But this is where we start to say to your question about how do you measure it? You have to really understand who your people are, who is in your audience, who mm. makes up your company. So culture is both the history of the company, the explicit and the you know implicit things of a culture, but then it's also the people that are there right now and what they do and how they do it. And if you don't, take the time to understand them, then you can't create really impactful content. So that's the two things that we're trying to bring together at Cybermaniacs, which is like, look, if we can sit down and we can help you create a map, a paint a picture of who the people are, like I feel like singing Mr. Rogers right now, in your neighborhood. And 
That's, that's funny because they... I, I had the Fraggle Rock theme song in my head. Uh, there you so, go. You know. <laughs> Um, there is so so basically to to the painting the picture part is like look there's there's so many different measurements you can do you you know we measure in awareness 1.0 I'll call it did you take a five question quiz and can you define malware from a multiple choice answer set I don't think that really actually does anything to make your company more secure so what do your people know about digital risk or what do they have in terms of awareness of the threat landscape what do they think or what do they feel or are they afraid are they more afraid of this thing than that thing or you know did the previous CISO burn all the bridges before they left and now everyone can't stand them do you have a customer service mindset so like all these things can be analyzed they they are quantitative and they're qualitative but you can put both of those things together to paint a better picture of who your people are and then you can start to look at things so we when we look at um, an organization, we do the assessments on the knowledge and then we do the assessments on the behaviors. And then we go deep into the fields, all my fields. I got lots of feelings in there because we worked with a marketing scientist on the same type of questions that you would use to assess brand loyalty and um, consumer decision-making processes. We just baked it into cyber because it's the same stuff. It's still human brains and how they operate and you know how they do, do they want to get on the bus with you or not is the biggest question CISOs have for me is how do I get my people on the bus? Well, do you know how much they care or how much they want to get on the bus? Because if you don't know how big that gap is, you don't know how hard you're gonna have to work to move them. But, but can, then, it sounds yeah. like what, what, what you're saying is that as a CISO, I have to go out and talk to people like that, 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 doesn't, that, that sounds like work. Uh, well, you know what? It is work. But here's the thing. I don't think that the CISO doesn't have to scale that way. Lord knows you guys have enough to do. Um, it's not like you have to go out and interview every single person on your campus and be like, I'm from, you know, hi, I'm George. And uh, I need to ask you some questions, but there's lots of different ways that you can touch people, not physically. There's lots of different ways that you can get feedback. Well, you told me I couldn't swear. So I thought at least I tried, okay. But there's lots of different ways that you can get feedback from individuals, from an audience. So this is the question of how do we build up the capability within your infosec as an organization to always be taking that litmus test and finding out where you are because it's just like, you know, the Tao of cyber, it is a river. And every time you step in it, it's gonna be a different river. You have to be monitoring and measuring your people and how they move through this journey the same way that you measure and monitor your systems and how they change. Know where your baselines are, understand your variances, you know, discover your risks and vulnerabilities and then start to move them into a safer space. You can do the same thing with behavior psychology and people, you just have to put the framework in place. So it doesn't have to be, I mean, I, I hope that CISOs get out there and do a little bit of what is it management by walking around, mm, so, yeah. you know, shake hands with the people and understand what their risks are and sit down and have the coffees. But at the same point, you have to be doing it at scale and you have to be doing it regularly if you wanna actually show your progress towards things that often feel like nebulous goals. Well, I, I hope that, that CISOs go out there and, and, and start using the nine habits uh, in their organizations. Absolutely. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that, that, that goes. But uh, um, Kate, oh, oh my gosh, I, I, I feel like we, we, we went way deep into some subjects and, 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 and got to the heart of things. So I, I love how uh, deeply you've thought about uh, security awareness learning 
and, 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 you know, again, I, I think that really resonates with me, uh, you know, in, in the, uh, you know, and that we ought to be more, more like coaches and helping people uh, grow. Um, so, so, so thank you for that. Um, I always let my uh, guests leave with, with one final nugget of, of wisdom uh, for the audience. So, uh, you know, any, any parting uh, uh, thoughts or, or, or shots that you'd like to take? I think the thing I'd like to just leave people with off the top of my head is that your culture is not a score, right? You have a culture and there are easy ways to get a thread on what it is. And there's more challenging ways if you want to dive deep and thoroughly understand it. But I would, um, I would beg the industry to not turn culture into a buzzword because it's not something that you can do a one-page assessment on and get a spit out generic report um, and think that helps you connecting and segmenting your audiences any better. It, you know, it, it does require some, some effort, but that effort pays off because when you do it right, it accelerates the people change significantly. And that's where, that's where it gets very exciting. Culture is not a buzzword. That's okay. actually going to be the name of this uh, episode. Uh, so, you know, we've come full circle now. Uh, thank you all for, for, for joining us. Uh, please sure you know, and, and uh, rate the show, uh, hit, you know, hit the subscribe button, uh, help support us, tell your friends. Uh, we will see you next time on the Well Aware Security Show.